0: Hey guys, I'm Richard Fitzgerald, this is Dubai Works, where we interview the business leaders making a difference in this great city. That business with scalability was very interesting to me.
1: I like building something that has legacy.
0: Welcome to another episode of Dubai Works Business Podcast episode number 100 and today we're tackling a topic that we haven't discussed so far on the podcast we're talking all things cyber security and we'll be joined by palo alto networks who were founded in 2005 and as a leader in global uh cyber security. they deliver innovation to enable secure digital transformation even if the pace of change is accelerating we'll be talking to Haider pasha who is the senior director and Chief Security Officer at Palo Alto Networks, Middle East and Africa. Within his role, he is responsible for elevating the company's regional profile in the cybersecurity in the security sector, expanding its visibility and credibility. He is skilled strategically at guiding business partners and customers uh, to address challenging issues. Uh, good morning, uh, Ryder, how are you? I'm good, thank you for having me on. Thank you for joining us. So you are joining us remotely. We're on Zoom, uh, but you are also in Dubai. So you woke up in the fog this morning.
1: (laughs) Yes, I did. I did. Interesting weather we've been having.
0: Yeah, definitely. And and you briefly explained that, uh, you know, you know, that you can't join us in the studio. There's lots of security process in place. Is that because it's a global uh, policy for the company, or is that in line with cybersecurity as well?
1: <laughs> no, it's it's uh, it's definitely uh, because uh, you know being a being an American company, of course, and, and the fact that we want to make sure that our employees are, are safe and secure always. Uh, we're being uh, precautious right now, and uh, you know one of the, the the requirements really is to be careful and, and not really interact as much outside. Uh, of our homes so um, palo alto has uh, has us working from our homes uh, at this point in time they've given us the capabilities both from a digital as well as cybersecurity security perspective to do our day to day jobs as if we were actually in the office um and so this work from home uh, piece is is uh, is critical to what we do and uh, you know we're doing it uh, for the time being and hopefully as we start to see vaccines rolled out and the number of infections uh, go down, um, you know. Then uh, we will have a little bit more flexibility to to actually travel and, of course, uh, visit as well. So, but yeah, currently we have this, uh, you know, the the flexibility of uh, of uh, working from home and uh, continue to uh, to operate here. Yeah.
0: Interesting. And can you talk a bit about that? So the the pandemic, the impact of cybersecurity. Uh, did you have to change guidelines, change advice, and internally how you operate as well?
1: Yeah, uh, maybe I can start with a quick introduction for Palo Alto Networks. I think a lot of our listeners probably uh, might be curious to hear uh, and hopefully they've heard of us, uh, but might be curious to hear a little bit more about what it is that we do. Yeah, definitely. Um, And and then I'll I'll go into your your question in a little bit more detail. Um, so we are, um, as you as you said in the beginning, you know we're, we're focused on cybersecurity and we're a world leader, a global leader for cybersecurity. Um, you know our vision really is to um, see a world where each day is safer and more secure than the one before. Um, and our focus, or our, you could say our mission, really is to make sure that we are partnering. Uh, you know, and the key partner of choice when it comes to cybersecurity for organizations, whether they be government enterprises, you know, small and medium, or, or even you know, consumers to a certain extent. Um, and it's really to help protect our digital way of life. I mean, that's that's the, the the key focus for what it is that we do. Um, the, the you know, if if you go back to the question, I think the 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 pandemic has really changed a lot of what we, and not just Palo Alto, but what we as as businesses have been. Uh, had to uh, you know struggle with uh you know i remember in the early days uh, this is now almost a year i can't believe that we started with lockdowns um but i uh, you know the majority of the businesses that we would work with you know had to worry about uh, employees working from home i mean most of the cios that i used to speak with uh, had only catered to have about 15 to 20 percent of their employees to work from home and then all of a sudden or literally in some cases overnight you're sending all your employees at home And now you have to cater to more than 90% of those employees to actually connect remotely. And so um, scale and capacity became a critical issue right off the bat when those lockdowns began. And even today, to a certain extent, you know, CIOs and CISOs are struggling with that. But security, of course, took a a very um, uh, high priority on that list as well, because now you've got your employees and your data, of course, sitting in in, in home offices uh, or as the office of one as one of the CIOs that I spoke with called it, and um, the challenge is, you know, how do I ensure that that security is protected? It's not just about you know having the employee take their laptop or uh, you know the, the piece of data home. It's how do I ensure the same level of cybersecurity capabilities they were uh, having in the office are actually also being delivered in their home office? Um, and a simple VPN link just purely wasn't enough. Hmm. And so to go back to your original question, at Palo Alto, we in, incorporated, and we've been doing this for many years, but we incorporated um, our ability to use this uh, a, a specific type of service. I won't get into the technicalities of this, but it's, it's typically Gartner calls this the Secure Access Service Edge uh, technology or SASE. Um, and so we have a similar offering, and we, we expanded it obviously to our employees even before the pandemic began. So when we went home, and as you can see now, as, as I sit at home and as I'm connecting, you know, the security capabilities are exactly the same as if I was in the office, uh, from a firewalling perspective or intrusion prevention perspective, and all the typical things that you would expect from a cybersecurity element, you know, protecting my my laptops and, and the data and all being done uh, you know remotely with the same level of security capabilities. Mm-hmm. Um, so that puts us as ease. And of course, you know to the point I made earlier, I think it's we've helped a lot of our customers move in that direction as well, and and I think we are in a much better shape. Than we were a year ago, mm. uh, with uh, with a lot of uh, you know customers, and uh, you know it's it's definitely an area that we've adapted to.
0: Amazing, yeah, I'm sure the last year has asked different questions of cybersecurity, both from a pandemic point of view and just from the uh, general acceleration of digital transformation within organizations. And before we touch yep. on you know the important things for cybersecurity this year. Um, you know where? How has it evolved? So Palo Alto, two thousand and five. Uh, you're you're named after the the birth of many of the global tech giants, who obviously have cybersecurity at, at their you know as a top priority. How how did the, the kind of general story of the company evolve to being in Dubai, basically? Uh, you know, sixteen years later.
1: Yeah, it's a great question. I think um, uh, you know we we were born to to initially solve a very specific problem. Um, and I've been in the cybersecurity industry as well as, as as you know, I mean, more than twenty years. And I used to be based out of the Bay Area. So I was based out of Silicon Valley for about seven eight years. Um, and uh, Palo Alto, as you know, is a famous uh, you know that's where Stanford is, and all of as you said you know rightly a lot of uh, Bay Area or Silicon Valley companies have come out of. Um, so we were we were born primarily to solve a key challenge that we felt existed uh, and that we knew and our customers used to complain about that existed in the firewall market. Um, the traditional approach of how a firewall operated was very much focusing on IP addresses and and, and kind of blocking certain types of uh, ports and things like that. It was very much in the traditional form, again, not to get into the technicalities, but in the traditional form, it was purely at a networking layer. Right, Um, and that wasn't enough, Uh, and and a lot of customers were building applications at the time, they would be expanding on uh, applying additional services for their customers and for their employees, and they needed that application layer visibility, and they needed it without actually having to have any latency on the device itself. So the moment you switch on Application layer inspection that generally in most other solutions uh, would require a CPU to get kicked in and CPUs were slow And of course, you know, would hamper the, the speed of, of the device and it would essentially become a, a, a Speed bump or a bottleneck, uh, you know in, in the network.
0: Can you explain? So, we created, so can yeah. you explain the CPU? I won't interrupt in every acronym, but maybe a few. <laughs> no worries.
1: Yeah So the computer computing processing unit. So, um, you know, this is the uh, what we see in our laptops today, right? So when we look at Intel, and when we look at uh, you know a couple of other vendors in that space, that's generally the the, the processor essentially that gets involved. Um, but are um, they the, are uh, they
0: are they the semiconductor space as well? Are they the the chips? As yeah. Well? Okay.
1: Exactly. It's it's they're generally chip uh, chip based, but they also use a lot of software on top in order to do the processing. So um, so that's generally what what ended up happening. So back about again back into the 2005 or the early dec, uh, you know, a part of that decade. Um, you know, that was one of the challenges. Basically, speed became a big issue. Um, and so we developed this device called the next generation firewall that allowed us to do two things. It allowed us to uh, do that layer seven you know, or, or application layer inspection. Um, and it allowed us to do it in what we refer to as an architecture that people called a single pass architecture, meaning you did not have to use the CPU or the processing unit to do all of those tasks. Right? And that ba- basically meant that we could actually switch on multiple functionalities of that device uh, without having to upgrade the device or the hardware in any way, shape or. Um, and so it revolutionized the way the firewalls operated and we became very famous for becoming a this next-gen firewall, you know, vendor. Mm-hmm. and until today, we're, we're frankly in the market, uh, primarily known as a leader in that next-gen firewall space. If you talk to Gartner, for example, they've, uh, they've rated us as a leader in that space nine years consecutively and, you know, we continue to enjoy that leadership position, both from a revenue perspective as well as an analyst perspective. Um, But to go to your initial question about how we evolved, you know, what we realized um, as we went down this journey is Firewall is an excellent place to start because that's where all the traffic goes, that's where all the visibility is. But then customers also have a pain point where they're securing their endpoints, which is their laptops and their servers. Uh, They also have a pain point as they transition to the cloud, and we saw that very much speed up over the course of the last 12 months, which we'll talk about later. Um, so security became a critical element. You want to be able to have those security cameras, if you will, in each one of those three key areas. Um, And so we began this journey about five years ago almost, where we looked at the cloud, we looked at you know visibility and and really started building out an analytics platform that allows mm-hmm. us to then combine the data from all three aspects using tools that we created. And today our customers who are who uh, you know have these solutions, are enjoying that visibility, they're enjoying the control of their data. They're enjoying in making sure that you know, from a security perspective, that they've got the right uh, platform in place that's properly integrated, and mm. and I think that's why we've become such a leader. And today, you know, we service ninety-five percent of the Fortune one hundred because of that precise reason. Mm. And cybersecurity is all we do. We don't focus on routing and switching and you know twenty other different technologies. We purely focus on cybersecurity. And everyone who partners with us, the companies like. You know, the large cloud providers like Amazon or Alibaba or Google or or, or Microsoft Azure, you know, they see us in that key space um, and and they they want uh, and they build our our tools and our technologies inside of their cloud services to ensure that customers get that public protection.
0: Wow. Interesting. A lot to kind of digest and take in there. Uh, So talking about some of the kind of current things in, in cybersecurity, how are companies looking at this? Uh, are they saying, okay, I need to uh, protect the firewall, I need to protect my passwords, I need to protect my customer data, or I need to prevent myself from being uh, hacked? We talk, we hear a lot about cyber hacking and different types of things like that. You know, are, uh, either are they writing down sort of five or big, th- you know, what, what do people generally think cybersecurity is to their business?
1: Yeah, it's a, again a very good question. I think uh, um, it, it's changed a lot. I'll be honest. I think um, over the course of the last um, two decades that I've been in this business, um, you know, when when I initially began my career um, in cybersecurity, the focus was always looking at cybersecurity as some form of insurance that companies would build in. Right. Mm-hmm. So if I purchase this firewall or if I purchase this security device, uh, at least I know I won't be breached. Uh, and I think that way of thinking has changed quite drastically, um, especially in the last couple of years. And again, especially during the pandemic. Um, uh, first, you've got to look at two sort of uh, uh, two trends essentially in the market that have really transitioned cybersecurity to the level that it is now. The first is uh, from an attacker point of view. Um, you know, if I give you a quick history lesson in terms of how attacks actually have you know have started to grow. Uh, Twenty years ago, we we used to talk about you know malicious code and worms and viruses. Right. This is generally what used to be become top of mind. And organizations were worried that there would be some sort of a virus on their machine that it would eventually spread into a worm and, and, and go across the environment. Mm. Um, that was generally where we started off, and that's where cybersecurity really picked up uh, some steam. But what attackers uh, you know, learned very quickly is that there's money to be had, uh, besides just fame uh, and, in some cases, activism. There, there's money to be had in, in this particular space. If I can take control of somebody's machine, such as a critical server, for example, or even some uh, consumer's mobile device, you know i can request for some form of a ransom right and so ransomware became quite critical in the in you could say the m- middle uh, to the early uh, 2010s mm. um and and it it became kind of this consistent uh, uh challenge for companies because uh, you know how do you ensure that our, uh, our employees or consumers aren't clicking on you know malicious links through certain email traffic you know also known as spear phishing uh type uh, type email traffic that really started seeing a massive rise uh, as well um because ultimately what would happen is if you know if i'm an attacker and i know you I could send you an email, customize it to a certain extent that I know you might be interested in, perhaps based on some research I've done on you, based on your social profile on Facebook or wherever. And so I know you may be interested in a specific topic, so I'll I'll customize and send it across to you. When you click on that link, you're going to be redirected to a malicious website that I've created. uh, And then you would inadvertently download something uh, such uh, that I can take access to your device.
0: And you might make that website look like an official government's entity or or an official Uh, financial institution, yeah
1: hundred percent it could be your bank's uh you know uh it look, might look like your bank's page it might look like you know a government entity as, as rightly said so um uh, you know uh, we we start to see that really pick up a lot of steam in the last decade and ransomware became a critical issue spear phishing as a result of that as well but over the course of the last i'd say five years now we've started to see a rise of not just the social engineering or, or sort of ransomware piece we've seen we've seen a rise of very targeted Specific, sophisticated, low and slow attacks, uh, and what that means is, as an attacker, now I'm I'm no longer in it to you know look at John's specific uh, you know uh, phone. I'm in it to get uh, certain assets uh, that a company has created, you know, such as R&D. Uh, uh, Papers, for example, that are, that are uh, in their private servers, uh, and get that and seal it so that I can give it to you know another organization and take some money as as um, or you know uh, uh, I, I I can place ransomware on a hotel chain where I've essentially locked all of their digital doors. Uh, until they give me money, I'm not going to open uh, those doors up, and their uh, you know, there's uh, uh, customers can't come out of their rooms. So it, it, the use cases obviously changed, and right. so those 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 uh, those focused attacks really became, uh, uh, you know, extremely high, and the sophistication became really high, and as a result, the impact of those attacks also became really high. And where we are today, if I fast forward to where we are now, and and perhaps even looking outwards, the focus is really on Um, you know, everything from targeted organizations to, in some cases, nation states that are going after each other in in certain cases around the world. Uh, This whole migration to the cloud that we've seen, especially pick up in the course of the last 12 months, you know, attackers now realize that customers are transitioning to the cloud. So they're putting up new types of you know, uh, tools and techniques uh, in order to get, uh, gather or intercept that data, or actually, you know, uh, find that data on the cloud. So th- that that landscape, I guess, is the ultimate point I'm making, has completely transformed. You know, mm. and it's continuously transforming. On the one side, we're trying to digitize, but the unintended consequence of digitization is always, uh, uh, you know, cyber attacks okay. and the increase of those attackers.
0: Interesting. Um, plenty to kind of dissect there. Just uh, explain a little bit about the clouds. Uh, Generally, if, if things are hosted on the cloud, people, the adoption of the cloud might have been a bit slower for this very reason, in terms yeah. of uh, people wanting to have their own service, their own data. If it's in your own house, then you feel like as if it's in one place where it's in the cloud, it's a shared place. Mm-hmm. It's with everyone. Um, you don't really hold the kind of keys to it. Is, um, what kind of changed? What Was there better cybersecurity? How come everyone now has adopted the cloud? Uh, Uh, at a kind of um, every, every industry, you know, from um, interesting, some stories about we hear consumer stories about subscription and things like that. But, you know, we, we look back at, we look at, uh, you know, um, financial accounting software is now in the cloud with, with QuickBooks. We've seen Adobe move into the clouds. They used to be on disks and things like that. So it, it happens everywhere. Um, Did they have to overcome um, a cybersecurity uh, stumbling block, uh, 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 and how did they do that?
1: Yeah, so um, I, I think um, so. So there's a regional uh, answer to this, and there's a global answer to this. But perhaps I'll start with the global and, and, and get get to our regions specifically. Um, at a global level, I think you know this transition began, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, you know, more than five years ago. Yeah, if I based out even out of the US, we never really called it the cloud twenty years ago. Uh, but it was the cloud to a certain extent when a service provider was hosting a certain infrastructure or a particular platform and you know customers were using it we only started calling it cloud i guess maybe 15 years back um uh, it, i i think from a um from a cio perspective um you know they started to very quickly realize that there's this whole question of capex versus opex that they're, they're struggling with right so they don't want to spend a lot of money in building things themselves mm-hmm. uh, they realize the advantage of actually uh Utilizing certain services that a provider is offering, whether it's a local service provider, whether it's a cloud service provider. Specifically, infrastructure is a, is a key element of that. So, and this is where you know the 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 expansion of AWS and you know Azure and GCP. If you look at those numbers, it's staggering the 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 growth levels that they've been having over the course of the last five to eight years. Um, and so, CIOs realize that you know, versus having to purchase you know 20 servers myself, I'll just purchase it at, at, a, at a much lesser cost uh, as an instance sitting in the cloud service. And so. So from a cost perspective, of course, initially uh, you know, it, it made sense, but from a maintenance perspective and to your point around cybersecurity, you know that became a key challenge because initially they didn't really understand what we refer to in the market today as a shared responsibility model. Okay. So when it comes to cybersecurity, the infrastructure provider is responsible to secure their devices. They're not responsible to, share, uh, to uh, secure your data. So I might uh, use your infrastructure, which the infrastructure provider will secure, but if i post my data onto your infrastructure and i'm using it as a service and i'm paying you a subscription cost for it you're not there to actually secure my actual data itself that's my responsibility as, as a consumer so there were a lot of lessons learned we, we start to see a lot of uh, breaches as a result where you know customers had not followed best practices to secure their data on the cloud and, and there were some public and some not so public mm. uh, you know breaches as a result and then, again, you, you you look at our region specifically, we, of course, uh, you know, in the Middle East, uh, especially we focus a lot, as you said earlier, around data residency and making sure that the, the data stays within, you know, our houses, as you said, or, you know, in, inside of our borders, uh, which is an important point because the, the biggest challenge with cloud uh, that CIOs and, and that we've learned, uh, you know, with, with uh, organizations moving to the cloud is you you generally have to prove that you still have control, visibility, and you continue to stay compliant with the data as it transitions to the cloud. I mm-hmm. could post something on AWS, and what's the guarantee that that piece of information does not move, or someone doesn't, whether inadvertently or uh, uh, by them, or actually wanting to move that piece of data from AWS to Azure, for example, mm-hmm. you know, which is a private uh, cloud instance, not a not a company cloud instance. Um, so that became a key challenge. So when we look at the Middle East, this was one of the key mandates, and this is why we have this mandate is if you're posting anything on the on the public cloud, that piece of data has to stay in the country. And now you see the launch of Microsoft Azure uh, in in the UAE. Um you already know that uh, AWS has an instance in Bahrain. Um, we just saw an announcement from Google, uh, you know, working in partnership with Saudi Aramco in Saudi Arabia. Alibaba is coming to Saudi Arabia and, and, and you know, and and there are a lot more announcements that I'm not mentioning right now. So th- the these instances are coming up and I think they've been accelerated a lot as a result of COVID because businesses here realize that they do need to use the cloud. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, the only piece of advice I have for those businesses is even if you're using local cloud instances, Make sure that you're following the security best practices yeah. uh, of securing your data, because it's not the cloud provider's responsibility; it's your responsibility.
0: Just just to touch on that uh, about the the cloud being uh, hosted here. So, if I'm a business person and I'm looking for cloud services, uh, you know, the kind of rational questions I ask, uh, apart from cybersecurity, security, is speed and uh, location and nodes mm-hmm. and things like that. And a lot of, say, Amazon Web Services, we were told of that. And then, uh, but why is it a bigger issue? Why You mentioned the Google uh, a- arrangement with Aramco, and um, they retracted a blog last week. They put it back up. They got criticism for it. Why is it an issue? Why are people saying, uh, you know, Google uh, needs to be careful about how they communicate uh, clouds uh, hosting in the region? Like, is it a cybersecurity thing?
1: um so i'm not aware of uh, of uh, the, uh, the specific blog but um, in, in terms of uh, i think it's not just targeted just for google i think this is a common statement for all of the cloud providers uh, is that when you invest in the country and when you're building the data center services in the country i think you have to be very clear in terms of what are the services that you're providing because it's easy to say that we're going to build a cloud service but cloud means many things to many people uh, meaning from a uh, from a services perspective mm. I could be offering infrastructure which is you know here's a bunch of servers and I'm offering it in this very specific way. You know here's a bunch of servers and I'm offering it as infrastructure as a service or it could be a software based uh, focus where you know a software as a service applications that I'm providing such as email services like office 365 to my customers and I built the cloud instance as a result of that. Okay. So uh, you just have to be specific I guess is is, is a key point.
0: And, and what, what do Palo Alto <coughs> networks do in terms of uh, the full range of your services you mentioned the proprietary software do you also do consulting do you have managed services or what's the full spectrum
1: yeah, it's a great question. I think um, uh, you know when when you look at some of the challenges I've just highlighted, um, you know it's important for us to to do really two things. One, we continue to innovate, and we continue to see the challenges ahead of its time, and and, and we continue to build out solutions to overcome those challenges for our customers. The other is we realize that we can't do it alone. You yeah. know, so we do need to where, where we where we can partner, we definitely partner, and where we feel that it's a better integration uh story if we were to acquire an organization then we acquire and so we've done a mix of all three of those uh, areas um if you just look at the last i'd say maybe uh, you know even the last two to three years we've acquired a lot of organizations to complement e- each of the key strategic priorities that i talked about earlier the network with the next firewall the cloud uh, as well as uh, you know the analytical capabilities which is traditionally in the form of a security operation center in helping all organizations you know build out their soc functionalities uh, with a lot more ease and so <clears throat> what we've done is we we are offering these services both on premise as well as cloud mm. because we, again as we said earlier you know we're very closely partnered with the likes of google and aws and, and, and azure because as they roll out their services, when the customer comes back and says, okay, but I need a security firewall, for example, to protect that cloud server, you know, we have our firewall as part of that service offering that the cloud providers can uh, okay. can, can build out as well.
0: Okay, interesting. Uh, moving into kind of a couple of topical things at the moment, which is uh, QR codes and WhatsApp's new policies, uh, right. specifically on, on WhatsApp, uh, there was a little bit of a backlash because, uh, it's obviously owned by Facebook, uh, you know, they promise of encrypted, but they want to do e-commerce. Uh, they want to get some data for e-commerce. Uh, people misinterpreted that for maybe the right reasons in terms of changing the data policy and they delayed it until, uh, you know, later in the year. Uh, wh- wh- why do you think there's such emphasis on uh, this sort of policy announcements? And do you think that the customer in that instance or in this case was right to be concerned?
1: um so so if we take a if we take a step back and we look at whatsapp specifically i think you know um, uh, whatsapp i think like any other platform is social is is helping us overcome a lot of the challenges we felt during those lockdowns right uh, and even before so but during the lockdowns you you now have more than two billion people that are connected globally that really wanted to communicate with each other right uh, they, they couldn't step out of the house and they wanted some form of an app-based social platform to communicate but then whatsapp obviously was was, was a key messaging platform that allowed you to do that um you know the the the, the, the key focus really is um, it is a free tool you know yeah. and, and so sometimes uh, as we see in in the market when when you see when you find something that is free of cost um there are certain uh things that you may have to give up uh, privacy may, might be one of them. I'm not saying it's 100%, but there may be certain aspects of your privacy. I'll give you an example. If you belong to a WhatsApp group, people on that WhatsApp group can actually see your phone number. You know, uh, and, and people that you may not know that are part of that WhatsApp group may be able to see your phone number. And that's a form of privacy that you're essentially giving up by using that particular platform. Mm. Um, And so privacy took center stage, I think, primarily now because WhatsApp uh, announced the new terms and and conditions. And as you said earlier, you know, the the focus was on on e-commerce and using the data for e-commerce purposes. Um, uh, All I can say is I think as a a consumer of those services um, and as a cybersecurity evangelist myself, you know, uh, you should always be careful of whatever uh, data or whatever type of sensitive data that you share on a public platform. Um, I know WhatsApp is encrypted in terms of their messages, and of course they've got some very strong statements there in terms of what it is they share and they don't share. But even so, uh, you know, I'm always, uh, I always err on the side of caution when it comes to sharing any any piece of personal information, you know, in in an open platform such mm. as that. And Facebook is another example, Instagram, whatever it is, because ultimately, you know, we do leave a digital footprint behind, mm. you know, and, and and that you have to be cognizant of the fact that social media platforms are there to for you to promote your 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 digital footprint, but then you have to be very careful of what it is that you're sharing. Because again, attackers are out there, people with malicious intent are out there, and, and if it becomes public, or if you're sharing on a public platform and, and that data is out there, um, then they could use it to their advantage.
0: What does encryption mean? <laughs> encryption sure yeah.
1: um so 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 think about a, a you know a piece of information that you and i want to share with each other so so there's a piece of a let's say there's a letter right so there's a physical letter that you've written up uh, that uh, that you want to share with me um, what encryption basically means is versus me reading it as a simple you know in the alphabetical order that it, uh, that you want to send it in and it, in the right words that, that you send it in uh, if there is a third person, let's say the postman, that's uh, that's receiving that letter and, and bringing it to me, they won't have the ability to open the letter and see what you've written because what you have actually done is you have pseudonomin- pseudonymized you know that data. So what you what that basically means is you swap the letters around in a way that only you and I have a key for mm. that we will then use in order to uh, decrypt, if you will, that piece of information. Mm. So anyone in the middle can't really read that uh, that letter or whatever that uh, what it is that you've written. Um, That's in the simplest way I could explain what encryption
0: is. No, no, very good. And I like the uh, analogy of previous media, previous ways of communication as well, because it just reminds us of the evolution of of messaging and communication. Uh, And then what do you think either is the next step for uh, messaging apps? Uh, You know, there's been a shift lately onto Signal uh, and things like that, and and many others, uh, Telegram and and a few others. Uh, where do you think we are right now, and how important a role does encryption and cybersecurity play in the next wave? Look, uh,
1: I, I I think generally uh, from a security perspective, the privacy and regulations of organizations will change all the time, right? okay. uh, and and I think from a consumer standpoint, you know my my view of privacy will change as well. And frankly, uh, you know, we and there's plenty of service out there, and we've done a few ourselves. Where we look at age groups, you know, uh, you and I may have a different form and a different view of how critical our privacy is. Mm. Teenagers m- might not, you know, the new, you know, generations that are coming out may have a completely different point of view. So, privacy uh, in regulations will change. Now, um, uh, you know, where do I see this heading? I think, you know. Uh, what, what we've learned from the, from WhatsApp, uh, from, from what we've been seeing with, with the WhatsApp communication stuff, is that um, you know, consumers are worried about their privacy and they are worried about what gets shared and how it gets shared. And they want to see where their data is stored, uh, where it's uh, you know, used and how it's destroyed. Um, and so there are certain applications out there that perhaps uh, can give us that level of confidence um, but we still need to verify, you know, uh, it, it, it's, we still, whichever application platform that you're using, whether it's Signal or wherever, you do need to be very clear in terms of what their terms and conditions are, uh, you know, and have some form of a, a, a statement from them or at least some sort of show of proof. Of exactly how that data is being processed and where it's being stored mm-hmm. um because uh, i think what what all of this with whatsapp has done is really created a lot of new levels of awareness around privacy that i think the new social application platforms or even the existing ones will have to will have to cater for
0: and yeah an interesting uh the, you you mentioned regulation um this has yeah. been a big sort of talking point in the us in terms of responsibility about uh, and it often is over the years, and I'm sure you would have come across it a lot in the Bay Area uh, with some of those companies. Uh, but where where do you think is the responsibility on the company, you know, Apple, do they want their new iOS update? They're making things more private now and Facebook aren't happy. And But it, where does this live? Like, is that supposed to... You know regulation can play such an important role um and but do you think it's 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 kind of a shared responsibility between the regulators and also uh the companies as well uh, uh
1: so i so the short answer is yes and i and i would actually add even the the third people are the people who create the, the data which is the consumers themselves it's oh, okay. also a shared responsibility with them as well um i think between the three um it's important to to identify what is sensitive data, what is personal identifiable information, uh, you know, for that specific country. And certain regulations have different views of what PII is. In Europe, you know, IP addresses can count as PII. You know, in, in the PII US, certain, is uh, personal personal information. Okay. So that's it's generally where uh, you know, if we take the U.S. as an example, even Dubai, uh, you know, your Emirates ID number is considered a PII piece of data, right? So um, and so the regulation will state. That PII data cannot be either stored or cannot leave the boundaries of a certain country, for example. That's considered sensitive data. It can be attached to certain things that you you as an an individual are doing. Um, So uh, from a regulations perspective, back to your point, I think, you know, uh, uh, first we need to understand what that regulation is in the respective country that we're in. Uh, We need to make sure that we know what is sensitive and what is not um uh, based on the regulation that uh, that's that's giving us that that piece of advice or, or guidance um and then the company the processor uh, uh of of that uh, information uh, as well as the originating person that's creating that piece of data all have to make sure that they comply with whatever that re- regulation is mm-hmm. and and, how to share it. Um, and if they can satisfy that um you know then i think within the laws of how you're 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 sharing from a privacy perspective then you should have a certain level of um, uh, you know confidence uh, in that particular application or, or tool that you're using to, to share your data
0: interesting yeah good way of looking at it um moving on to kind of last topic is around the role of of CIOs and I purposely didn't bring this up before because it's so you know uh the companies that you work with obviously have chief information officers uh and it's uh, you know, they they speak to the board. It's really important. But where's the starting point? At uh, At what point do companies start thinking about a chief information officer, and where does that sit? You know, is it beside the operations IT? Uh, wh- where where does it sit, and how do we look at it, and what's the entry point?
1: Yeah, great question. Um, I think um uh, the role of the CIO has really transformed over the course of the last. Um, you know, a couple of years, um, even in the last year, for that matter, the majority of CIOs I've spoken with, as a result of the pandemic, no longer are, um, you know, individuals that are essentially reporting to the board of, you know, certain metrics and certain programs that they're trying to run. I think the board is really looking at them as sort of enablers to their business now and and, and really looking for guidance from CIOs in terms of, okay, we know now that we have to be digital. Mm. We know that and, and regardless of industry at this point, right? I mean, initially, it was you know industries like the financial industry, for example, was very much top of mind, and they were usually leading for when it came to digital services for their consumers. But now you look at healthcare, you look at even governments uh, in the services that they're offering for their citizens, uh, and then with people working from home and and really giving that level of connectivity and collaboration, CIOs are really being asked a lot of key questions from the board. And the first and probably the most critical, and that's top of mind, is how well do you understand our business and how well are you helping our business continue to innovate and continue to stay ahead and what type of digital transformation programs do you need to run in order to do that mm. um, the the majority of CIOs that I spoke with I think had a certain level of confidence um, in terms of their ability to to do this um, some are learning uh, you know and, and some of them are almost sort of unteaching and teaching the board of what digital really means and and the value of uh, how what digitization is due to to that specific business. Mm. Um, so business alignment is important. The second piece that's also critical is risk. You know the CIO now has to actually be able to explain and quantify the risk that the business has as they develop new uh, digital platforms and digital solutions. Um, because it's no longer acceptable to be posting information to the cloud. As we said earlier, we now have to say if we move to the cloud, here's the level of risk that increases for cyber attacks or other uh, other challenges that you might see to the business itself. So they need to be able to quantify that and they need to be able to say that they've got the visibility and intelligence you know, uh, to, to move in, in that direction. Um, so go ahead.
0: Yeah, so uh, amazing. So if you're speaking to a company, uh, you're in the Middle East, Palo Alto Networks and you work with a company and they don't have a CIO, uh, what sort of questions do you start asking? Do you have a corporate government's policy? Do you have cookies and uh, terms and conditions on your website? Are you similarly compliant with the European GDPR? Are are these the type of questions that you would ask or that a CIO would ask, or how does that work?
1: Yeah, I think the the most important one is uh, to ask is, what are you doing digitally um, to transform your business so you are staying ahead of the competition? Um, That's the first question that I would ask. Um, And it doesn't matter who does it. It could be a CIO. We see a rise of chief digital officers uh you know ctos or chief technology officers again i i won't get too involved with the key title of the individual my focus will be on the business uh you know or the the board or or the customer themselves to ask the question is how are you staying ahead of competition uh and how are you adapting to you know covid and and obviously the landscape that we're in right now to make Mm -hmm. sure that you stay ahead uh, from a competition perspective, and of course from a cost perspective as well, because uh, you know uh, it's not just about staying ahead of the competitors. If you continue to uh, have your initiatives affect the bottom line, so um, how are you ensuring from a cost? efficiency perspective that you have the right technologies and, and right capabilities in place. And then the third question I'd probably ask is cybersecurity, because there can be no digital transformation without cybersecurity. You know, mm. So the questions of risk, of course, come top of mind, consistency for security, uh, you know, uptime, all of those are important aspects. Regulations, as you likely said, are all key questions to ask.
0: Interesting. So I saw a tweet the other day saying something around cybersecurity and passwords and that. A company that doesn't have like the basic is to have double uh authentication password security. And yeah. I thought of our organization and I think of some of the SaaS products we use. And you know, we're we're say 20, 25 people, and that double uh authentication really slows us down. It really really, really slows us down. <laughs> I, I get the importance of it, uh, but I kind of you know think of the opportunity costs and speeds and you know. Like, what would you be advising people like that? Like, how important is that sort of extra security?
1: Well, how important is your data?
0: Uh, Yeah. uh, So,
1: if if you if you lose that piece of information, uh, what is the level of of uh, money that that's going to cost the organization if you don't follow that cybersecurity best practice? I guess Mm. that would be the question. So, um, I completely agree with you in certain cases, and I do understand as well that the cybersecurity sometimes can be viewed as a speed bump. Mm-hmm. uh you know for the organization but then we also need to take a step back and 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 this is why quantification of risk is so important you know you can't just say buy this so that this doesn't happen no you've got to be able to say look if we don't do this yeah this is the actual cost that it's going to cost the business for us to you know and this is how we're going to be impacted so um it's a fantastic question to say you know uh, uh, where do we see but something as simple as two-factor authentication we've known to actually prevent more than 70 percent of issues okay you know, so so it's a it's a very simple best practice that i think you should employ even as a consumer by the way and this is yeah. again going back to the question earlier about whatsapp this is one of the best practices i would mention to anyone who's listening right now is please make sure that you've turned on two-factor authentication for whatsapp mm. because it's a very uh, one of the very common ways that whatsapp gets hacked or the accounts get hacked is mm. uh, you know s- simply going through a whatsapp group looking at some random uh, uh, phone uh, number of a person sending a message uh, you know to that number and saying you know I need a verification code or I've sent your number or whatever can you please give me a verification code to my account Mm. and the moment they see that sms they think it's a verification code for my account but in fact it's for them yeah and then I've automatically gotten that person's uh, account information so two-factor authentication prevents things like
0: that interesting I like the practical application that makes sense I'm going to go do my homework and (laughs) due diligence after this (laughs) Great, thank you Hyder lastly so um what's your view on kind of the Middle East region in general? Are you optimistic? Do you believe you know you moved here from the u s Do you believe that this is an a market that will emerge um and yeah. uh yeah, so what do you think?
1: You know, I've been, uh, uh, maybe I should mention this in the beginning as well. I've been based, in fact, I grew up in the Middle East. So I grew up in Dubai uh, and Saudi Arabia to a certain extent. I ah. spent my first eight years in Saudi and then uh, in '83 or 84 is when we moved to Dubai. Um, so I've seen this region grow. I've seen obviously Dubai's home for me, like many other expats. I'm sure, you know, uh, this is the place where I grew up. And outside of the 10 or 11 years I lived in the US, Dubai is, is the only place that I've uh, I've lived. Um, so uh, I, I'm extremely proud um, you know, to see the, the country, the city, the region really change and, and, and develop over the course of the last couple of years. I'm also extremely proud to see the work that um, you know, the government has been doing, uh, especially with uh, the, uh, the COVID vaccines and, and kind of managing the situation as well. Um, I think technology has really taken a, a front step uh, when it comes to the way they're dealing with everything. If you look at even just your services as an expat in the UE and what you can actually do online now versus where you were perhaps five or eight years ago, or even for me as I was growing up, you know, it's 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 a night and day difference. Uh, but then cybersecurity, of course, is pretty much lock in step with, with what the governments uh, are doing across this region as well. You, you see locals uh, 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 sort of regulations adapt, you know, to things like cloud. You see those regulations coming out in the UAE, of course, in Saudi Arabia, and other parts of the,
0: and, uh, the region, and maybe blockchain as well, and things like that
1: yeah and you see an increase of new technologies ai of course you know we didn't talk mm. a lot about artificial intelligence but mm. you know i think the government and i think anyone should really realize that for you to properly do a, 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 a artificial intelligence or machine learning you know you need vast amounts of computational space and you mm. need vast amounts of storage mm. you know that's how ai will operate you know and you and many businesses can't afford that you know i can't build a, a data center you know the size of uh, dubai mall uh, in order to for me to do the the you know uh, machine learning or AI capabilities that I need, and this is where cloud becomes so important. And so the government sees that, and so they're opening up and they're adapting their their capabilities so that we can start to use cloud a lot more, so that we can we can build and and start to use some of the new emerging technologies that are available.
0: Amazing. Well, thank you so much for being a great guest, Hider, and making it a difficult topic accessible to us all. Uh, appreciate your time this morning, and we'll follow Palo Alto's networks journey in the region as well. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me on. Thank you. That's it for another episode of Dubai Works. Thank you so much for listening and please leave a review on the podcast platform that you're listening to. It really helps with organic searches. Also, if you'd like to appear on Dubai Works or know someone who has an inspiring business story in Dubai, please do get in touch on any of the smashy social platforms.